What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vein Podcast. And today we have another giant buck down, and I got Hunter Hogan on the line. But before we hop into his story, I'm going to give a couple a couple quick shout outs to the sponsors of the podcast, Uh, Vector Custom Shop. If you don't have, if you don't know how to tune or buy or pick out the right arrows for your bow or you're having problems, your broadheads are totally not hitting where your field tips are, give these guys a call because they can help you pick out the right arrow. It could be your terrible form as well, but at least you know that the arrow is a hunter is a professional archer. He's sitting here smiling. He's like, yeah, that's totally true too. (laughs) Um, But at least, you know, you, you check the arrows off the list. Okay. It's not the arrows. All right. So look out, look up for vector custom shop. If you're having problems with like your broadheads fit hitting where your field tips are. Next one is, is Venado. If you haven't heard of Venado, they make like lifestyle apparel. So like flannels, it is the comfiest flannel I've ever worn. It's awesome. Um, bought that thing and I wear it all the time in the fall. So they make flannels, sweatshirts, jackets, pants, t-shirts, all that kind of stuff. And the nice thing about them is they give a, they give 2% back to conservation and B um, they're a hunting centric company. So rather than going to like a target or a Kohl's or whatever, and buying sweatshirts, you can buy stuff from Venado and actually support hunting based companies so that they're giving back to the community. And you know, that that money is going to people that have the same interest as you. And the last one is Onyx maps, Onyx maps. If you haven't used it, you need to check it out. Or if you haven't tried a a GPS mapping app, you really need to look into Onyx. They show you where the public and private land boundaries are. Uh, They give you waypoints, they give you a GPS, they have new crop data, they're going to have the wind direction in there. They got a lot of awesome stuff coming out and pretty much and Hunter would probably agree with this like every day during season you're scrolling through Onyx maps just looking at images going should I have sat here, or should I have sat there. (laughs) Right. So, all right, those are the big, those are the big sponsors. Um, appreciate all them and and thank you guys for looking into them if you guys uh, are in the market for any of those items. And without further ado, let's hop in with Hunter and his giant ass seven by six buck he calls Picket. What's up, Hunter? How's it going, man? Good, good. Well, not as good as you, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's going good, dude. So um, for anyone who doesn't know um, about you, why don't you give a little little background for yourself? Hunter is yeah. a really interesting dude. Um. My name's Hunter Hogan. I uh, I shoot professional archery. Um, been shooting and competing um, since I was probably 14 or 15. I'm 23 now, so um, been doing it a little while. Uh, just finished up my rookie year in that, and then um, I grew up bow hunting. My dad used to take me up in the tree stand with him since I was three or four years old, and um, grew up around it and in the last two or three years I've got a little more serious into it um, and then this year just joined um, Bow Life with Levi Morgan so kind of getting the rundown on how to do filmed hunts and uh, just finished up my first first deer on film so yeah that's pretty and it's a tanker <laughs> yeah yeah he is a pretty good one <laughs> yeah all right. Awesome. And, and Hunter's being a little, uh, little too, what I want to say, he's got 11 national titles, so he's a good archer. He's a good shot. <laughs> he's not, uh, he's, it's not, yeah, he finished up his rookie season, but he's, but he's pretty darn good. So, um, 
Yeah. So no, that's, that's awesome. I appreciate the intro. Um, and you're out of Missouri, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. Missouri. Okay. Fantastic. So the reason, yeah. And the reason I asked Hunter on, on the podcast today was because he actually had a really, uh, detailed story and interesting story on about this buck he just killed, which I think can bring a lot of people, um, insight into how to approach early season and how to tackle it especially for, you know, Wisconsin's opening up right now. I think that's, it opens September 18th, but you have a lot of states opening up October 1st. So there's still some time to prep for a lot of people. And um, that's <coughs> essentially what we're, that's what we're going to talk about today is this, this is a uh, big buck that you call picket um, and how it, how it came to be. So why don't you, hmm, where do we want to start? Why don't you, why don't you just start in the beginning? start like this summer when you guys were eyeballing him yeah for sure um so Pickett actually just came onto the scene this year um I saw him for the first time in probably early June um I kind of spent all year scouting I think I think there's really good um scouting to be done all times of the year January all the way through late season so um I didn't see him. I, I kind of expanded my area of, of where I scout um, in June and, and found him first time I saw him and, you know, saw the seven on one side and it really caught my eye. And um, I had a few other good bucks that I, I was keeping an eye on too, but uh, he was, he was uh, kind of standing out as far as like the seven by six and, and you don't see a <laughs> typical seven by six very often. So um, I actually got a lot of early, film of them in the summer um, all the way up to season and uh, spent a lot of time um, you know sitting back as far away as I could and still get a view of him and just watching and patterning and um, I spent a lot of time learning deer and and watching them outside of season um, you know not only for for season but also for enjoyment and and learning white-tailed deer better and and how mature bucks move and work in different areas you know yeah so did you did you know he like existed before you found him because you said you didn't see him um so you kept you expanded your your area of interest or is that just yeah. saying you were just like just looking around more um so it was actually he's actually on the same public piece that i've been hunting for the last i guess three years now um so he was just in an area that i hadn't spent a lot of time in and um we get a lot of new bucks moving into that specific public piece um from private land so he may have been brand new or he may have been just in that area and i hadn't spent enough time in that specific spot to gotcha. to really get a good look at him so you had um, no like go ahead. last year you had no idea he existed no i did not there's okay. there's certain bucks there that i've watched all three years and there's certain bucks that I've seen for two years and have a lot of history with, but, um, that specific deer was brand new this year. So. Gotcha. Oh, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> a big was. old seven by six turns up like, Whoa, where yeah. did you come from? Yeah. I found him in June and it, it still felt like, um, a crunch trying to really learn him to a T, um, you know, cause some deer you have history with for a few years and you kind of know how they work and what they do. And then, um, with him, it was kind of, you know, it sounds like plenty of time, but the more, the better always for, yeah. for learning mature bucks and, and what they do. So does your, does your family, I mean, you said you grew up hunting with your dad. Does your family hunt these public pieces as well? 
Um, no, they don't. So I moved, um, I moved about three hours north of where my family hunts. Um, my dad is a really proficient bow hunter and, um, I've watched him my whole life, um, you know, hunt, hunt areas that bucks kind of max out 140 to 160 and, and he's pretty consistent killing about the 150 range every year, which is pretty impressive. So he's, yeah. He's really uh, getting it done in the areas that he is, or, or he'll go out of state to Kansas or Iowa and, and shoot a good one um, on a brand new spot in a week's time, you know? So um, cool. I've watched him work mature bucks and, and kind of got the basic do's and don'ts on uh, what you can get away with and what you can't. And I've kind of made my own personal twist to that as far as, uh, you know, really studying deer, getting to know them. And then as soon as season opens, attacking um, my game plan with a lot of aggression, probably a, a lot more than than most people. A lot of my friends that are good bow hunters think I'm absolutely crazy on the aggression <laughs> that I take whenever I whenever I go after a big buck. But uh, I think it's all about how much work you put into it and how well you know that deer and uh, getting aggressive on it, you know yeah 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 last week um do you know the hunting public you know those yeah. guys mm -hmm. yeah so last week or i guess it aired today was aaron warbritton and he he calls it calculated aggression yeah for sure. yeah <laughs> right i mean some people some people think you're crazy but at the same time if you're very confident in it and you've calculated the risks and you know the odds and you're willing to to take them go mm -hmm. for it man yeah like yeah yeah. And I think, I think, uh, I think it's really important for people to, uh, understand whatever their best skill set is, you know, um, you know, I've, I've listened to, to a lot of legendary bow hunters like Andre Diaquisto. He's, he's a very aggressive bow hunter and his son, Cody, you know, and I listen yeah. to their stuff a lot. And, uh, you know, he talks about like his sense of smell is better than most people's and even something that simple um he uses um so like my skill set is is shooting a bow i'm really comfortable shooting um a deer out to 100 yards you know so i i can i can use that as a tactic and like i prefer to shoot them 15 yards under my stand but if i need to use that tactic of using the range that i have um i can do that and and uh get aggressive without getting too close to them you know yeah <laughs> yeah and that is a stark contrast from from warb who is saying like i want to be within 30 yards right <laughs> i'm not yeah. really shooting over that which is fine like you know that is that is certainly something that'll that'll come up here um as we talk about the podcast and the distance you shot this deer at but uh but anyway those are just a few questions okay so you're doing all the summer scouting you find him and i mean when you're when you're watching them are you like watching him like a day a week or through three days a week are you getting out there like seven days a week keeping an eye on them or what are you um it if i'm not out of town at an archery shoot i'm out there every night so i'm usually hitting <laughs> it five, five to seven nights a week damn yeah okay so then are you just you said you're trying to sit as far <laughs> away as possible to see the deer are you like are they are you just watching them coming out into like soybean fields and alfalfa fields and whatnot or are you or how are you watching these things and like are you watching from like a few hundred yards or like miles or what yeah so um it depends on the public piece i've got a 
couple different pieces that I that I hit up but um you know I think it's when I when I first go into a public piece I first go through and and read all my regs and all the all the boundary lines and I'll go through and um you know on my onyx and line everywhere that I can and can't be and you know even the little nooks and crannies that maybe people don't know about because that a lot of times is where you'll find really good bucks and from that point I try and figure out the best way to study deer without you know pushing them or, or pressuring them at all because you, you don't need to if you're not hunting you know right. so um, the specific spot that I sh- killed picket at um, is on the Missouri River bottom and uh, it is pretty wide open out there and um, a lot of the deer are are out in the open so I like to refer to that specific place as almost a western style hunting in the east Um, so I get a really high vantage point either whether it's really high in a tree I'm talking like 35 40 feet in a tree or um, you know if you have a bluff side or if you can um, get on a high point or or whatever Um, I use all those different tactics I even stand on top of my truck or something sometimes (laughs) and and glass and stuff so whatever high vantage point I can get on, on that specific property. So, um, pick it, I was able to get high up in a tree and, and see most of his homestead. And I think I was probably a good 600 to yards to a thousand yards away from him. Um, so yeah, I was, I was spotting and, and videoing and, and studying him from a pretty good distance. Are you bringing, this could seem like a really stupid question, but I have to ask, are you bringing a spotter into the tree? Uh, what do you mean like a spotter? A spotting scope? Uh, so I, I use my binoculars and then um, I actually have a high zoom camera. It's a Nikon P1000, Okay. Um, which was zooms into like 125 zoom. So pretty equivalent to like a good spotting scope. And yeah. then, uh, the cool thing about it though is you know it's a spotting scope but i can click record and record <laughs> it in 4k yeah. You know? yeah um that's what i that's what i use um probably one of the best investments i've made as far as getting a high zoom camera and you know it's not it's like an eight nine hundred dollar camera it's not some five thousand dollar setup right. or anything, but it allows me to look at deer from a long ways away and get footage of them and, and document all that stuff. Yeah. And then you can actually, then you can play it back and check it out, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that makes sense. I, yeah. Cause I know you can get like, um, so like your video, video camera arm, right. For your, for your yeah. video camera, you can get a mount for a spotter and hook it into that. And just like you would yep. a tripod. Right. And then you can have a spotter in a tree and you mm-hmm. can be doing that. I didn't know yeah. if that was actually what you actually did. I've never seen anybody. That'd be a very like a uh, viral Instagram post. People would be hating yeah. on that shit all day. <laughs> so I, I actually do that a little bit. Um, I'll use my camera arm and then I've got a fluid head and um, I put a base plate on my camera and a base plate on my binoculars. And so mm-hmm. I'll sit there with my binox and glass. And then whenever okay. I find a buck or a target deer that i want to video i just slide my binox out and slide my camera in and start videoing you know gotcha yeah okay so yeah so i guess over the summer just spending a ton of time driving around looking for open more open areas that you can go in glass for an evening and check it out and 
you know, one of the, one of the questions I have, and I don't do a ton of that. Like I, I really don't. Um, I'm not sure if it's just laziness or I just don't want to or whatnot, but uh, um, in terms of like how often you would sit without, I guess I'm trying to figure out the question that I want to ask, which the question I want to ask is how often do you sit uh, a single area and not see anything before you write it off? Um, well, I've, I've got a couple things to touch on on that. So like, don't get me wrong. It is not necessary to spend five days a week. <laughs> um no it's all year round and and you know do do what i do i do it because i enjoy watching deer and i i feel like i have a future in bow hunting um on a professional level and so i i like to learn the whitetail species as much as i can um as close to home as i can and so yes it it comes in handy for bow hunting because you you learn how to kill these deer but on the same level like i've got like 15 bucks that I keep a close track record on and you know I may choose one to go after and harvest but um that doesn't stop me from going and watching these other deer year round you know so I it's just a personal thing that I enjoy doing um as far as not seeing um stuff in an area that really goes into uh moon phase so the more I study deer the more I realize the the most consistent factor um sorry it's really bad storming outside uh the most consistent i just got hit with a storm too (laughs) yeah uh most consistent factor especially for mature deer and deer movement period i've learned is um moon phase and position so um i'm not sponsored by or or affiliated with it at all but moon guide by adam hayes um is an app that he created and um he's got some podcasts too that over it that i've listened to a lot over and over um and so what the red moon phase is is the overhead and underfoot um so when the moon is straight overhead and straight underneath um anytime that happens within two hours of dark especially with your mature bucks and so that applies year round even in the rut even in the October lull um, in the summer when they're out more often, all that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I really, I'm sorry, you cut out, on... you cut out for just a second. It's probably yeah. that, that storm. You probably. said anytime, anytime the, the moon is directly overhead or underfoot within two hours of it getting dark, you are seeing more mature buck movement. Correct. Yeah. So, okay. um, gotcha. Um, Adam, calls it on that moon guide the red moon phase and so what the app does is um it tells you like when those red moon phases are so it'll be like a five or six day period usually um when that moon is overhead or underfoot within two hours of dark and you're going to get your mature buck movement and you know everybody talks about early season like um i've had this buck on camera all summer and you know i've I've got him patterned and he's hitting this camera every day. And then September 1st rolls around and they, they ghost him. you know, um, they lose track of their buck. They don't know where he's at. He's not on camera. And if he is, he's there in the dark, you know, well, they change from their summer pattern to their fall pattern around that time. And it's not that they're not moving. It's that they're, they're transitioning more to a red moon 
pattern. So those red moon nights, if, if you go out, if I go out to a spot and I, and I spend several red moon nights there and I'm not seeing mature buck movements, I'm probably going to move on to the next spot. So, so that um, is your, yeah, that's your yeah. confidence. That's your key confidence indicator. Yeah. That's my extra factor that really tells me whether a spot is worth spending time at or not. If I'm going over there, um, random times and it happens to be not on red moon phases and I'm not seeing mature buck movement, like I come to expect that my, like I'll, there is a 14 day period right before season opened here in Missouri that I went and watched every day and didn't see one mature buck because we were in between red moon phases and then as soon as that red moon came back, I was seeing four to five mature bucks in one field in the night, you know? So yeah, it's, you're making, I'm not a moon phase believer and you're mate, you're, yeah. you're convincing me right now. <laughs> yeah. And so I knew there was a little something to it. I didn't understand how serious it was until I started spending, you know, every day all year out there watching all these mature bucks and I'm watching, you know, you know, anywhere from 12 to 20 mature bucks on different public pieces. And these are, these are really high pressured hunted places that a lot of people spend time at. Some of them, there's a lot of duck hunters. Some of them, there's a lot of people that just hike or photograph and sightsee. So these deer are getting a lot of pressure and, and you have to kind of work around that and, and figure out where they're moving and, and what they're doing. And, my most consistent factor for that has been moon phase man as well and that's regardless of weather that's like regardless of the like south winds for a week or northwest cold fronts and stuff like that correct yeah so cold fronts and winds um they may change their bed position or change where they come out into the field or where they where they go because they want the best advantage for that but either way on a red moon night you're probably going to have mature buck movement yeah. wherever he's coming from based on wind you know yeah no and i so i picked up a buddy of mine it, you know it's always like you hear all this stuff until like a good friend of yours tells you about it and then you actually start to believe it right yeah, so a friend exactly. of mine last last year said he goes man if you're going to be in the woods be in the woods october 22nd to like october 28th because it's a phenomenal moon it's pre-rut bucks are going to be smashing scrapes all day and it's going to be awesome. And I was, I got out in the woods like <laughs> October 29th or something like that. And I came up over a spot that I like, I, I climb up these like kind of cliffs to get into an area. It's not like this tall cliff. It's like, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 feet. You got to walk up this boulder field and pop over this ridge. And there were four bucks out there right when I popped over the ridge, right under my stand. And it was nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, it was, it was pre-rut and I was like, what the fuck? I was, you know, yeah. blindsided. The best buck right. on the property was standing there at 10 yards, um, right. just eyeballing me like, what the hell are you? Um, yeah. but, but, and I went, I, you know, they all blew out of there and whatever, you know, it's, it's crap shoot. Um, but I went and pulled the camera card in there and it was exactly what he outlined. He's like, these are going to be your days. And this is going to be when these bucks hit this scrape, when you're going to see a ton of movement based yeah. on the moon and it outlined perfectly so that was my first instance of okay maybe there is something to this moon and now this year i have cameras on my scrapes and i do have a moon guide here that yep. i'm watching just to test it out for myself and try to understand it a little bit more <laughs> yeah for sure and the cool thing about the app is um you know it 
you can type in your location and it's just a calendar that pops up there. And so it gives you a moon guide for your specific zip code or location. And then um, it also has weather like a week ahead of time and kind of gives you the rundown on how weather affects that as well, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay. So you're out summer, summer scouting and it, it, you know, and your defining factors are like, if you're there for red moon phase and, and there's nothing going on, you're like, all right, this ain't a good spot anymore. And I'm moving. Okay. Yep. So, all right. So you find, you find the seven by six picket. And so then you start watching him and you're saying you're keeping track of all these other bucks too. Are you keeping an eye on him? Like one, two nights a week, maybe not even once a week. Um, I would say probably two or three nights a week. Um, crazy thing is where I killed him, there's actually several mature bucks in there and I have a pretty good vantage point. So I was able to watch quite a few bucks um, at one time in his same field. Oh, nice. um, so that was, I did spend a lot of time watching him. Um, and then I would kind of go around, you know, I, I try to really split up my red moon times. So when I have a red moon phase, I'll kind of schedule out the five or six days that it is, um, spend my prime ones on, on bucks that are potential target bucks for the season. And then, you know, spend my other ones going and keeping an eye on other ones, or maybe even looking for, for new bucks to watch, you know? So, um, I did spend a lot of time watching him and, uh, I didn't, I didn't decide he was my for sure target buck until probably a week before season. But, um, yeah, I did, I did watch him a lot throughout the summer. You got to look at this buck. It's pretty much everyone's everyone. I'd say 99% of hunters are going to look at that and go, yeah, that's the target buck number one all day. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that you wasn't it. I'm not going to dive into that because I'm sure there's, there's other secrets that you want to keep. So we can, we can just gloss over that. I just want to mention that I noticed what you said yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's a lot more factors that go into it. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, there's honestly other bucks that I was watching that would probably, um, outscore him just because of abnormal points and stuff and, and all that, all that stuff. But, um, sometimes it's about what you like. So, yeah. um, there's a specific deer that um, my partner Remington is is hunting right now, and and he's like 24 inch wide, and he's got to have beams over 26 inches, and um, his tines are not crazy tall, you know, but he's got crazy mass. He's a five and a half year old deer, and like he might outscore the deer that I shot. He's a mainframe 10, you know, but uh, like yeah. my style is, is really tall tines and lots of them and, and pick it kind of fit <laughs> that description. So it's all about your style and, and what you're looking yeah. for, you know? So it, it makes it fun whenever you enjoy watching deer and are able to uh, find several bucks and, and kind of choose what you want to go after. Yeah. 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 I'm sure it is <laughs> put in the time and you too can have the same luxury yeah. of figuring out what you want to target. For sure. Um, do I want to take the giant 24 inch wide? Do I yeah. want to take seven by six? There's a nice right. other five by five over here. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's good pretty for crazy you, man. because, you know, you see that on, on like the jury brothers and Lukoski's and stuff. And it's really cool to watch them manage their deer and stuff and, and wait for mature bucks and pick and choose and stuff. But that's a, it's a whole different game doing it on public land, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. Yeah. I bet. 
which I'm sure, yeah, certainly played factors into this, but okay, let's roll on with the story. So you figure out, you figure out this is the buck you're trying to target. Then um, you start putting a game plan together and a week before season, you're like, all right, we're, I'm, I'm going after this buck. Now, what are you, what are you going after specifically? I mean, are you just figuring out where you've been seeing him? Are you moving off to where you've been seeing him or what? Let's talk about that. Um, so Pickett was not a super nocturnal deer. Um, and I had a couple others on my mind that, that did go pretty nocturnal. Um, and they're only coming out on really prime red moon nights. So, um, the, the main, I guess the main thing I'll, I'll just go into the part of patterning him that, that helped me get him killed. And, and that was, um, so the specific area that I killed him on, um, there's a lot of duck hunters that, that go there. It's, it's actually like flood floodplains of, uh, the Missouri river. So, um, a lot of duck hunters went in there Well, teal season in Missouri opened September 1st. So where was I at 3 a.m. on September 1st? I was in my scouting tree watching these teal hunters go in to like within a couple hundred yards of his bedding area in the CRP. And he's he's going from CRP and hitting different food sources through the summer, going into season, changing. So so really my my main focus, and I spent every day focusing on on that target buck. Um like from September 1st on, because there's a lot changing then. So, um, I watch these duck hunters go into practically his bedding area, September 1st to shoot a bunch of teal and they're, they've got bright headlights on, they're throwing decoys out, they're shooting shotguns, all that stuff. So I'm watching everything that's going down from a distance. And then that evening, um, I noticed Pickett came out of a place that he'd never came out of before. That was about four or 500 yards away from that area so what that told me is that when he gets pushed out of his bedroom his main bedroom this is his secondary home and so that was a really important factor and so knowing what kind of pressure and what kind of seasons and what different things affects the property that you're hunting is is really important i think and what change what causes that deer to to change his patterns so um, I was able to pattern that and then, um, you know, going into season, he went back to his original area um, where you could also apply a tactic like a bump and dump, like uh, Andre and Cody talk about a lot. And, um, you know, you can push a buck out of his bed and, and he's going to be back and you can be set up there as long as you're really discreet and you're going in um, without bumping him again, now that you have the upper hand to know where his home is, um, and actually get an opportunity to get a bow kill on him, um, when he's in his bedroom. So, yeah, uh, like I said, pretty aggressive stuff, but that was the, that was the number one thing that kind of led me to, um, getting this deer killed. Okay. So you, so to back up a second, as you've been watching him over the summer, you said it's kind of, he, you mentioned he went from a bedding area, a bedroom where he was always coming out of a general area. Um, and now he came out of a different area that was four or 500 yards away. Correct. When he came out of this general area, 
do you think he was using literally the exact same bed every day or do you think what is this is this like a, a five ten acre area that he's generally just like moseying out of but he he has several beds within this one area uh he was than 10 acres um maybe five and and honestly almost all the mature bucks that i watch um once i choose a bedding area um there's some of them that are super home bodies and they'll stay in that five acre patch for all year round um or there's some of them that are kind of more nomadic and they'll they'll switch bedding areas and and some of these river bottom deer travel a long ways i, I actually had a a 200 inch non-typical I was watching um at the beginning of the summer and I'd I'd watched him all last year and and he just turned into a freak of a deer and he traveled three and a half miles away from his summer range for season and that's the second year that he did it and the reason I know that is because I know the private landowners that get pictures of him and find his sheds every year and this deer is like undeniably the same deer because there's like no way there's another there's deer. no other non-typical 200 running around yeah like so <laughs> it's crazy because like obviously i would love an opportunity to pursue that deer but he is three and a half miles away from public land at that point off of public peace so there's some deer that are super nomadic and and even then they have like a consistent pattern but once they choose an area to stay in for however long that period is it's usually a really tight area like five or ten acres okay so in, in that tight area, he was living there um, and you were seeing him just generally come out of that area every night. And I think a lot of people get the misconception, like they listen to like the hunting, the hunting beast by Dan and Dan and Fult and, and those guys. And, and they tend to get this conception that a deer has a bed <laughs> and they, they don't, yeah. they have a, a ton of beds within a general area that they'll utilize. Right. And right. then if they get bumped, like you said, they have secondary beds that they'll go to. It's just not, it's not their bedroom. It's like sleeping. It's like sleeping in the spare room of your house. Right. Yeah. Like, I didn't like, uh, they're not. Yeah. And a lot of deer, you know, if you're hunting in big woods or, or more of your average whitetail Eastern style hunting, you know, you're going to have ridges and ravines and different um, thermals and, and winds and stuff. And that, that mature buck should bed different off of different winds, you know? Right. But are you, are you saying like, even, even when that occurs, are you still seeing there generally in that same area? Generally? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They'll okay. generally be in, you know, five to 15 acres. Um, and then okay. bed in that five to 15 acres according to wind. Yeah. All right. Okay. So anyway, um, so you, you see, you see these duck hunters come in, they push them out. Um, you notice he comes out of the second bedding area. All right. So then, and that was September 1st for Teal. So now you have an idea where that second bedding area is. So when did season open in Missouri? Uh, September 15th. 15th. Okay. So you're going in, are you getting really close to that bedroom? Is it a red moon phase? Tell me about that. Uh, so the red moon phase actually ended September 14th. <laughs> okay. So um, I actually went in with a non-aggressive approach on the 15th um and just kind of set up and it's still teal season i still have duck hunters going in there and and these deer grew up with these duck hunters coming in here and so he's getting more comfortable with these guys um being near his bedroom and actually using his regular bedroom which is like 150 yards from where they're going in every morning 
and they're they're making noise they're upwind obviously not scentless um right. and and he is getting used to i mean like i'll be sitting there in the stand and when i sh- when the first shotgun blast goes off in the morning i mean i jump a little bit and i watch these deer <laughs> oh, they yeah. don't flinch they don't even perk their ears up so that's how i mean deer know where people are supposed to be and where people are not supposed to be and they pattern people probably better than we pattern them so like they're totally fine with these duck hunters being around there um smell sight hearing them everything so um i kind of studied that and uh going into season and then september 15th i wasn't expecting to see him and i didn't see him um that morning or evening. So I, I kind of set up in more of a scouting tree that was um, honestly the only tree near his main bedding area, which was still a good 300 yards away from where he was out in the open field. So, okay. So you, and you hunted both the, you hunt mornings in the early season. A lot of people like kind of scoff at mornings in the early season. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you don't get a lot of movement. Um, but towards the end of that red moon phase, sometimes you'll catch them going back to bed in the morning a little late. Um, so sometimes you'll catch a little bit of movement here and there. And then, uh, you know, the, the moon guide app will do 80% of the, of the moon work for you. And then something that, uh, I actually made a post on it in mid August, something that I learned on top of that was, um, when you have a full moon on the horizon which a lot of times a full moon will be on the horizon because of its its phase rotation and everything when you have a full moon on the horizon i noticed um one day in august i got to watch a group of four different bucks that were anywhere from one to three year olds a group of two bucks that were four and a half year olds and then a pair of bucks that were five and six year olds and with that full moon on the horizon in the morning, I got, I saw them all stand up out of bed within 15 minutes of each other and move and feed for an hour. I had a really high vantage point. And then, um, at about an hour and, and after that movement with that full moon on the horizon, they all bedded within like two minutes of each other, like all seven of these bucks or however many there were really and so it was really crazy to see that and it, it may have been a coincidence on that deal but I one thing I did get for sure out of that was that I was getting an hour of morning and evening movement with that full moon on the horizon so um <laughs> you know the yeah the full moon on the horizon that's that's when I killed picket was was on that phase and so um you know, I was getting an hour movement in the morning and the hour movement in the evening. And, uh, I was, I was seeing mature bucks on, on that phase. So the red moon, I was, I was, I'll get just evening movement and it may be more evening movement, like two to three hours or two, two and a half hours, you know, but with that full moon on the horizon, I was getting about 45 minutes to an hour movement out of mature bucks in the morning and evening. Man. That's wild. All right. So I got to start, I got to start paying attention to this thing, but that's, that's a pretty crazy coincidence to have them all stand up, have them all feed about and then have them all lay back down. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So are you, are you seeing them in like CRP? Is that how you're able to like watch them stand up? Yeah. So this, this public spot that I really focused on 
um, once I decided which buck I was going after. Um, it has these these bucks are are staying kind of in the CRP, and then they'll change their food source um, throughout the season. And I think the reason that they mainly stay in the CRP is because the woods aren't super thick around there. They're more kind of like open woods and not mm. super brushy and stuff. Okay. And so I feel like these bucks are are most comfortable in the place that they're the most hidden, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And for anyone listening, CRP is a conservation reserve program. It's essentially just fields of really tall grass. Like you can't plant it in egg is what it is. And you get paid yeah. by the government to have it in that. Or if it's public land, the government's paying for it already anyway. So, um, yeah. All right. So, um Okay. So you had a non-aggressive sit op- opening day, just kind of maybe keeping an eye. You didn't expect to see him much and, and nothing came of it. So then, um, day two, what happened day two? Uh, so day two, I kind of had, um, the same sort of approach. Um, and what I did day two was I, I hung a set, um, and this doesn't happen very often on this specific property that I was hunting. Um, a lot of the big bucks don't even go under trees there. They just kind of stay out in the CRP and, and go to the beans or corn or river grass or whatever they're eating on at the time. So um, Pickett's secondary bedroom was within a hundred yards of a tree that I could put a set in. So day two, I went ahead and, and hung a set there and I got up probably a good 30 feet in that set. Uh, me and Remington did he was videoing so he got a saddle set up for his his footage and then um, I hung my 0.5 stand um, for you know trying to kill out of and so I went ahead and hung that set in case we needed it for his secondary bedroom which we did Um, and so I I went ahead and got that hung and then went back to um, prepping and watching for him to come out so um, the evening of the 16th, he actually did daylight and came out, um, of his main bedroom. And I think that was, the, yeah, that was the evening. So when he came out, we actually did a spot and stock on him. And so, um, sounds crazy aggressive and it's definitely not preferable for whitetails, but when they don't go under trees, you don't have much of a choice. I mean, you have right. to get something done. So we did a spot and stock on him um we actually like that afternoon went towards the crp set up in some tall grass like johnson grass and staked out right there and i think we we're 60 yards from where he crossed usually cross from his crp bed to um, the main patch of corn that he fed on so he's feeding on like that patch of corn like 80 percent of the time and then a different patch of corn that was like right up against where the duck hunters were like 20 percent of the time and so that evening, um, you know, he came out into the corn, um, but he actually skirted around behind us. There was no duck hunters that evening, um, which was the first time in a while. And he went to the corn patch closer to where they were. So he actually crossed right behind us, like bounding through to the corn patch and Remington, like <laughs> he was like, Hunter, he's behind us, you know? And so I turn around and by the time I get turned around and grab my bow, he's like gone and he's already in this tall corn patch. So we actually did like a spot and stock on him, ended up getting busted. Um, and he ran back to his main bedroom and, and I was pretty confident in, 
and seeing him the next day because when he got back to his bedroom, he like slowed down, stopped, and then walked slowly into his bedroom. So he wasn't like terrible bumped. Um, I'm assuming he thought we were duck hunters, honestly. So we were right there where they were hunting and, and I got that aggressive because I knew he was used to the duck hunter pattern over there. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty, all right. No, that's pretty wild that you were able to figure that out. And, and the numbers, the 80% and 20%, those come from just watching him all the time. Like he's yeah. usually go, going over to here. And that's one of the other interesting things is he's picking corn. Like he's yeah. going to corn, which is typically not an early season food source that people would target. Yeah. That actually shocked me a lot this year um, because I hadn't really, um, most of the places that I had spent time, I was, I was on soybeans because they hit soybeans all summer. Well, the spot that I was in this time, they had a choice of soybeans or corn. So they're hitting soybeans and like natural river grass. I'm still trying to figure out what grass that they eat. Cause sometimes like right before September and August and stuff, um, they'll actually walk through like corn and beans to go hit whatever this grass is. So I'm trying to figure out whatever natural grass that is to, to see what they're eating. But um, yeah, when it seems like when the beans transitioned to like yellow, so they're in between that green and grain stage, yeah, um, these deer started hitting the corn really hard. And so they were going in there and, and hitting corn instead of hitting the beans at that point. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. Like, it seems like you get a speck of yellow on those soybeans and it's just, nope, not interested. We're done with that. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that they transitioned to, to corn right away. And now a friend of mine shot a really nice, he shot a, uh, about 160 inch deer last year on corn on opening day in Wisconsin, which was September 19th. So it's one of those things that people don't really target. And I don't, I hardly ever target corn in the early season. Most people target yeah. soybeans, but then like, corn isn't quite the number one crop and there's still a lot of browse to be had right. i personally like where i hunt i i focus more acorns like i yeah. go find some good oaks with some good acorns that are close to some bedding areas um and hope that i'm in the right one that that deer are coming in there but um yeah. but anyway that, that's a that's a really interesting point so that was day two you got to look at him he kind of blew on you um, kind of got out of there, but he wasn't too, too cautious or, or nervous and scared. So day three rolls around and you're going, all right, I got, I think we can still kill him. He's still in there. Um, tell me about day three. So day three, I, uh, I was ready to get aggressive at that point after, after bumping him on and knowing that he was wanting to come out and feed in the daylight. So, um, I was trying to take advantage of that time period of him coming out in the daylight and feeding as much as I could before he went back into his his more nocturnal phase like mature bucks do a lot of times so um day three in the morning 50 on whether I was going to see him as the moon is starting to get full on the horizon um not quite full but I'm starting to see that movement that I was talking about in August and so in the morning we just um we sat in the set that was over his secondary bedroom. And so it was kind of a dual purpose stand. I was like, you know, if we bumped him and he did go ahead and move to his secondary bed, we're in range of that. If he didn't, I can still see his main bedroom 
maybe not from the best angle, but from a, a pretty good angle to where if he goes into the corner, I'm going to be able to pick him out at some point when he's moving around. So um, we, we sat in that set. Um, we saw three other mature bucks moving for like 15, 20 minutes, but not a whole lot. And then they bedded back down, but um, no picket in the morning. Um, and then that evening, we actually went in with the same tactic from the night before and that was setting up um 60 yards from his main crp to the main patch of corn and kind of keeping a closer eye behind us in case he tried to discard again to the other patch yeah. of corn um but we we had some we had some wind swirls and um we had a good wind for where we were setting, but we had some swirls for a good like five or 10 minutes where our wind was blowing into his bedroom, um, which was not preferable. Um, <laughs> but I also, I also had the confidence that, you know, he's been smelling duck hunters for the last two weeks as well, um, blowing into his patch. So I was like, you know, maybe it'll bump him, but it might not be a big deal. So yeah. that was, uh, okay. that was day three. Um, day four is when we got him killed in the morning. Um, same tactic on, on sitting over a secondary bedroom, no movement that morning, um, kind of pulled out, went back, got scentless, um, kind of got a game plan together. And that evening I was like, all right, well, after the spot and stock and then our wind swirling and going into his bedroom, I'm actually going to sit an evening over his secondary bedroom and watch out into the, his, his primary and see if he comes out. And so um, we had a full moon on the horizon and Remington actually like just did a pan video of the full moon. And all of a sudden I see like this little buck that Pickett runs with stand up and he's a hundred yards away in the cockleburs. And these cockleburs are like, six foot tall like I'm six six and I'm like holding my bow to walk through them at some point so um, <laughs> he stands up out of there and walks over and so I tell Remington I'm like hey that's the buck that's running with picket and so he starts rolling film and it wasn't like four or five minutes later and all of a sudden picket stands up and his rack is just appears out of the cockleburs and I'm like there he is you know so he's in his secondary bedroom and stood up, which I was, I was expecting him to be in his primary, but I was there just in case he was in his secondary. And so, um, he was there and then I actually had to like sit down on my platform <clears throat> and like sit back against my lineman's belt to clear some, some low branches to, to like get a shot angle at him. So we rolled some good footage on him while his head was the only thing appearing. And then um, the little buck walked into a clearing and I ranged him and he's at like 98.6 yards. And I'm like, Oh man, this is going to be a super long shot, you know? <laughs> and so <laughs> Pickett walks out, um, finally, and I range him and he's 86 yards. And so I roll my sight and as I'm rolling my sight, um, on my sight tape. So I, I shoot a five pin, um, so I don't have to adjust my sight from 20 to 60. I've got all five pins. And then my bottom pin um, is the one that I have a sight tape for. So it's set, my sight tape is set on 60 for my bottom pin. And then I can roll it down to a hundred or however far I can clear with my veins, you know? Yeah. And so I roll it down to 86 and I see him take one step farther. So I went to like 87 and set my sight. 
and uh talked back to Remington. I was like, You ready? He's like, Yep, I'm on him. Drew back, let the pin settle and let it fly. And it felt like forever on the arrow in the air. And it it hit him and smoked him double lung. So um, <laughs> it was pretty crazy. He came out, he stood up an hour before dark, just like he was supposed to on the full moon on the horizon, walked out of his secondary bedroom and gave me a shot right out of the tree stand. Oh man, that's wild that it's exact as it how he was supposed to do it, but an 87, 87 yard shot, dude, that is that is a hell of a shot, man. Sitting on your platform. So like your feet are sitting there dangling. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had <laughs> one foot like locked into a tree branch and the other one was dangling. So, um, it was actually a super steady sit as awkward as it was. I'm, I mean, I adjusted my lineman's belt to where it was the right length. So I was, I was sitting down, which is pretty steady. And then I'm leaning back against that and was able to get a really steady hold for the shot. Yeah. Oh man. And so, yeah, dialed your tape, let it rip, double lung. Oh, man, 80, that's pretty good penetration at 87 yards to get both lungs. Yeah, yeah, it was it was good. So um, it'll surprise you, you know, how much <clears> – and we're getting uh, – as a professional archer, a lot of these professional archers get really frustrated with the whole – um, hype of having a super heavy arrow and, and understanding the true physics of accuracy and target and, and the, the more advanced side to, um, penetration and, and accuracy and stuff like that. All these things that are super important for target archery also apply to hunting. So like the whole vibe of the super heavy arrow, you know, I'm shooting like a 460 grain arrow but i'm also shooting like 75 pounds and 31 and a half inches so considering my poundage and draw length it's a, a pretty light arrow you know so yeah if, in that situation when he took a step farther and so i had to like guess if that was an extra yard or if it was an extra you know yard and a half or half a yard and at that distance that can be a big factor so the reason that i like to stay on the lighter side of of arrows is you don't lose a lot of penetration and and you know if i'm off half a yard i only miss by you know half an inch or an inch instead of like four or five inches with a heavier arrow yeah. so you know shot placement is is way more important than that little bit extra kinetic energy that you get with a heavy arrow yeah i think i mean with with 75 pounds and 31 and a half inch draw you could shoot you could shoot a lot of shit with yeah. a lighter arrow <laughs> yeah for sure i think i think where people where people really run into problems are those guys that are shooting 60 pounds and have a 26 inch draw and are throwing a 350 grain arrow and they're like not getting any penetration it's because they got right. no like force behind it right so it's like right. you know the whole reason why trad archers can get full penetration is because they're shooting 600 grain arrows because they're lobbing these massively heavy things because they got no they got no power behind it right right yeah no yep. speed so yeah i think like if people people tend to think it's a it's a necessary like the higher poundage higher draw weight more arrow weight and it you that's not how it works it's it's actually like the inverse relationship you can get away with less arrow weight right right because yeah, i'm exactly. 30 inches yeah i i'm 75 pounds and 30 inches and i shoot uh i shoot a 500 and 40 grain arrow um but that's what i was using last year and i don't shoot 
the a long shot for me is 50 yards. Like that is a long shot for me. So yeah. I'm usually trying to stick on and anything under 40. Um, <coughs> and, and so for in that distance, the amount of drop that I'm going to have is pretty minimal. Um, mm-hmm. I just like, I just flat out miss. I don't, I don't need to worry about the arrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other factor to that is, you know, 50 yards is, is the primo range, you know, anywhere from, from 40 to 70 yards is, is the range that the deer is going to duck the most. That's when they're going to hear the bow the most and duck the most before your arrow gets to them. And so like speed is a really important factor on that. And, and so, you know, there are advantages to a lighter arrow, even for somebody in that situation, because if your max range is 50 yards, yeah, you may not be dropping much, but the deer might be dropping a lot. You right. know? So yeah, yeah, there's a lot more to it than, than people realize. I could start. Yeah. And I wouldn't even, that's, that's how I understand it. And you, you know, a lot more about me, that stuff than me. So I'm not going to argue with it. Yeah. At all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay. See, so I mean, you double long this, this giant at, at 87 yards and does he just, does he take off and tip over in 20 yards or does he do yeah, you trail him? What's the, what's the next step? Um, so this is the part that shocked me. I I'm shooting a, a two inch schwacker, um, the two, six, one series. And, um, I've had really good luck out of those, but the angle that I was shooting, I was 30 feet up in the air. And even though that he was a long ways away, I still had like a downward angle on him. Um, so it just so happened that my schwacker opened like perfectly up and down. And so, um, it actually caught like, you know, the vertebrae come down quite a bit and it caught the bottom of one of his vertebrae just right with the edge of my blade. And so it cut through both lungs and caught the top, like the bottom of that vertebrae and like shocked his spine. And he dropped right there and expired in like five seconds. <laughs> it was, oh it was crazy. All right. So, so like, you, you shot him with a 30 odd six is what you did. I, that's what it looked like yeah I mean uh, it looked like a rifle shot and so I was shocked because like I watched my arrow go in you know just exactly where I wanted it maybe an inch high or so but I knew it was double lung I knew it was in the right place and so I was super confused on why he dropped I was like I didn't think he he dropped any like ducking yeah. or anything they usually don't I, I am a little bit low but they usually don't duck a whole lot over you know 75 yards or so and so I, I was shocked. And so I, I immediately grab another arrow and I'm like, I have to get another one in him because I'm thinking, you know, maybe it's just a spine shot and, you know, there's a chance of him getting up, but all I could see through the tall grass that he was in was just my arrow sticking up and it like wiggled for five seconds. And then it didn't move for like, we sat in the stand for 15 or 20 minutes, just making sure. And it didn't move at all that whole time. I mean, he died immediately. <laughs> oh my gosh. And do you have like a, a nocturnal or a Luminoc or something on there? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I had a nocturnal on there. And so okay. I was able to see really well. And, and I, I shoot white veins with, with a white wrap. Um, so I can get yeah. as much visibility as I can on where I hit, even though we're rolling footage, you know, so I, I mean, I saw my arrow drop right in where it needed to be. And it just so happened that Schwacker opened straight up and down and got the penetration it needed to, 
to do both yeah. jobs, which oh, I've man. never really seen or heard of before, but it worked really well. So <laughs> yeah, I'd say no track job, man. Yeah, exactly. Especially so on a buck like, like that, through yeah. a bunch of tall grass, like high CRP, man, that, that can be a huge pain. Yeah, exactly. So he was, yeah. uh, he was pretty close to like some water and CRP and, and he could have went anywhere. So yeah, it, it can turn into a nightmare quick out there at, I actually shot a deer last year and made a perfect shot on him. And he ran out in the middle of this great big flooded area um, that they, they flood late season and, and he sunk out there and I didn't find him until they drained the whole pool um, that next March. And he was right where the blood trail led to him, but there, there was no way to recover him. So I was super glad to not have that happen that time, you know? Yeah. Damn, that sucks. Yeah, I know um, a few years back I did a, a pronghorn hunt um, with Dylan Lenz, uh, who's a friend of mine, and he ended he we ended up shooting a, a nice buck at 45 yards or so, and he took off, and we filmed him take off and everything, and, and Dylan's like, and we when we went to go track, we were out in uh, Nebraska, and as soon as we got into track and like, I don't know, 20, 30, uh, 20, 30 yards after the shot, and he had gone over like a little rise, right? It's just all rolling hills. Mm-hmm. And this huge storm just rolled in, just oh, monster. Man. Like I turned around and was like, Ooh, we need to get back <laughs> in the blind, dude. This is not good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we went running in the blind and waited it out for 20 minutes as it passed. And we came back out and there was no blood, you know? So it's just like, all right, so let's just start gridding, right? Yeah. And right. we ended up, we ended up finding him, but man, that was a very nervous, we found him like in 10 minutes, which was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a very great. nerve wracking 10 minutes of where did he go? Watch the footage. Where was, where was he headed? You know? Yeah, exactly. That can be nerve wracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh man. But anyway, that is back, back to your story. That is, that is awesome. Congratulations, dude. That is a, a hell of a shot and, and a ton of time, man, a ton yeah. of time put into that but i mean did you have did did the thought ever cross your mind to not to to like not hunt them early not hunt them right away and be like okay well maybe we should wait until later in the year um when he's more active or anything um no actually opener is is my favorite time to hunt so i think that's your most consistent pattern on bucks you know later in the year they kind of start I'm a big target buck guy just because I watch so many deer so I I choose one buck and I I usually go after that specific buck even if another good one passes by I mean I'm still after that buck you know so yeah um yeah it's it's my favorite time of year to hunt because you know you get you get in the mid-October or you know later in the season or even in September sometimes like I I just videoed two bucks and and they're only three and a half year olds are they're good deer but they were sitting there like sparring a little bit over territory range you know one buck like cross this waterway into the other bucks area and he's like nah you need to get out of here you know so they're all bachelored up and and in september they start splitting up so you know somebody's got to take over that area and somebody's got to go um so i i feel like the most consistent time to to pattern a buck and figure out what he's doing is is right whenever season opens so yeah it's actually my favorite time to go after a target buck because in october they start running scrape lines they start moving around they may start looking for does or looking for an area that they want to start doing rut in and and actually 
resting up for rut and you get that October lull, you know, so, um, right. yeah, it's, it's actually my favorite time to pursue a buck. Dang. Yeah, no. And that makes sense with all the, with all the summer scouting you do and all the effort you put into, you know, you want to, you want to target that because it's consistency and it's patterns and, and you've learned what that deer wants to do when he wants to do it. And then you can figure that out for a lot of people who don't put the time in like that. It's a lot easier to go sit a scrape in late October and just be like, man, whatever comes through here, that's above 120, It's getting an arrow. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah. And somebody that, you know, maybe doesn't have the time to put in, or I, I say, doesn't have, doesn't make the time. I, I feel like everybody doesn't have time. It's all about sacrificing and making time, but it is. you know, it's for just, somebody hey, it's, that, it's a hunter. It's, it's priorities, man. That's <laughs> yeah, what it is. it is. Like you just, you literally don't prioritize the time I've thought about it. Cause the, the one thing everybody's given by God is time. Like yeah. that's what you got, man. Exactly. And it's how you what prioritize you that it. time. Is it yeah. work? Is it kids? Is it going to the bar? Is it watching Netflix? Is right. it, you know, what are you yeah. doing instead? Yeah. And for some people, you know, they have, they have higher priorities, like, like family and stuff that they need to tend to. For some people, it might be just laziness and watching Netflix <laughs> instead, you know, they don't want to be out in the 90 degrees when the mosquitoes are biting them. And I, I mean, I don't blame them for it, but that's just what I enjoy doing, you know? So, yeah. but for somebody that doesn't want to spend that much time on it, you know, pick your red moon nights or pick your good moon phases, get a high vantage or, you know, if you're in heavily wooded areas, find a trail intersection, go, go get scentless, practice your climbing, your, your mobile setup, whatever you want to do, practice, you know, your hunting style, even before season starts and, and get in there on those red moon times where you think bucks will be and, and see if you can figure out what they're doing before season opens, you know? Yeah. No, that's a great point. I mean, my, our season opener was, uh, yeah, just a couple of days ago, the 18th, I, uh, the third parking lot I went to finally only had one vehicle in it. So the other ones were, were all pretty much taken. So I popped in there and the dude was pretty much sitting in the exact tree that I was very likely to climb. Like he, <laughs> he, he shined me off at, you know, yeah. five, I got there at four. So light is light was six fifteen AM. I got there at 4.45 and his truck was, was already there. I got to that spot about 5.15, an hour before light. And he just, he shined me off. I was like, fuck. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and this place that I killed Pickett, it's it's heavily pressured like that. I think opening morning, there's like, it's a pretty big area, but there's still probably 10 or 15 trucks scattered across there. And um, my buddy, Jeff Rainey actually, shot a good buck there he came up from kansas um he's another professional archer and uh he shot a 155 inch deer um i think it was second day of season so he he got it done pretty quick but he shot his on a spot and stock at 71 yards you know so like this specific spot it's it's a very difficult place to get a bow kill on and it's a bow hunting only area so like a lot of people hunt it, but not a lot are successful. And these, these bucks are able to actually get some age and some size on them there. Gotcha. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And by, by all means, I don't want you to give away this, this spot or anything like that. So you don't need to give any more details than, yeah. than you already have, man. Yeah. But yeah, that's another big thing is, is so, I mean, was there anyone poking around that area, bow hunting or no? Um, 
the specific field that Pickett was in, no, nobody okay. was in there. Um, That's duck awesome. Hunter. A lot of duck hunters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I have, I have certainly um, used that a little bit to my advantage as well because. Uh, there's one bedding area that I know that's right along a river and it is thicker than snot, but the bucks will go there, even though there's duck hunters, right. You know, within a hundred yards of them all the yep. time. Yep. Um, but they just know that it's whatever it's duck hunters. They're not here for me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's crazy how, how good they are at patterning people. You know, you'll find bucks, um, urban bucks. That's, that's something that's just blows my mind that, I think, I think a lot of the biggest deer in every state are in the biggest cities of the state and this, you know, they'll hole up in like a two, three acre patch of woods and they see and have people around them every day, but they're able to decipher that they're, they're safe there. It's not all about human. It's about where human is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it's a quick little rabbit hole on that. I had a couple of buddies that want to go duck hunting one day. Yeah. And, uh, they were going to hunt right on the edge of town where like you can legally hunt, but you're pretty much out people's back doors. Right. Right. And like the subdivision. So they hopped in a canoe, put on some Hawaiian t-shirts, put on some bucket hats. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They had their oars and they had their shotguns sitting in the bottom of a boat, man. They limited in an hour. (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's what i'm talking about <laughs> right they were like dude you would have never guessed it took pictures of it and i laughed so hard you know and these are the two guys that they don't even know what a social media is but right. they're like dude we did this it's awesome <laughs> right. yeah it blows my mind i mean uh those guys with uh seek one on youtube yeah. i don't know if you've watched oh, their yeah. stuff. I mean, seek one boys, they're killing yeah. 200 inches in atlanta like georgia isn't known for having that big a deer it's not like the midwest you know so yeah it just goes to show that a lot of the biggest bucks are in spots that you know everybody tries to apply the classic whitetail like oh they're in the deep woods or oh they're they're coming out of the woods into the bean fields or whatever but no sometimes they're going from the crp to the corn in september you know so it's it's usually wherever everybody least expects them and so if you can if you can pattern people around there and then start your scouting based off of where people go and where people are supposed to be, these big bucks might be right beside where they're supposed to be, but they're away from where, you know, other hunters go in and where people aren't supposed to be. And they are, you know, right. so. Yeah. And even like you said, even if they are other hunters, it's as long as they're not other bow hunters, right. Yeah. As long as, right. Yeah. Bow hunters. And sometimes even squirrel hunters, like those guys get into all these little nooks and crannies for me, at least I I run into them a bunch, but, um, but yeah. Oh man. Great, great story. And it really, I like the moon phase stuff. Like that really intrigues me. I also like the, the early season glassing, like that seems to be the more of these podcasts I do on early season, that seems to be like number one, success tip for anybody is like yeah. early season glass multiple times a week and sure. if and if you combine that with you know most people that i've talked to generally say like a cold front or a cooler evening um but also if you combine that information with the moon phase i'm i'm sure you can go and and take a look i like the fact that that's your confidence factor is the moon phase like if i don't see something in here in the moon phase i'm out yeah you know 
Yeah, I killed I killed picking on a night. It was 92 degrees with no breeze. So like it was not a cool front by any means. It was the hottest day of the week. Um, but it was the right moon phase. That's awesome. That is yeah. that it it's it's awesome that you killed them, but it's awesome that it defies all the the logic that people tend to put out on podcasts about northwest cold fronts in the early season. That's when you gotta go. Yeah, and and I think I think that does you know, help, help promote deer movement, but it ranks, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into deer movement, but all of them rank lower than moon phase in my book. And that's the most consistent thing to it. So, you know, if, if you don't, if, if you want early season success and you want to get out here on public land and, and get big bucks killed and stuff, um, right off the bat, I mean, it's not necessarily going and spending a lot of time glassing. It's just spending the right time glassing. Like I said, I, I went 13 days before season without seeing a mature buck. So, um, and the moon phase was wrong. So like somebody would have looked at that and like spent 13 days before season looking for a buck and be like, no, this spot is terrible. When really there's like several monsters out there, you know? So um, maybe not the amount of time you spend glassing, but the right nights, you know, the, those moon phase nights and, and those good, good weather, good moon phase, a few different factors lining up. And, and you can see those several days ahead of time, a week ahead of time, be like, that's the night I need to be out, you know? Yeah. So in, in during that 13, 14 days that you were glassing, was there any like cold fronts that came through or cooler temps or was it? Uh, we had a 20 degree drop, but it went from like 95 to 75. Um, so Still warm, but yeah. So it wasn't like a real cold front or anything, you know, you know so. what? I actually had a buddy of mine. I was talking to him yesterday and he's like, yeah, man. Cause yesterday was the 19th and it should have been like a decent moon phase day. Right. Uh, in Wisconsin. Yesterday yeah uh yesterday yeah you you guys have a full moon on the horizon you should so you yeah. should get an hour in the evening and morning yeah well yeah because like the tomorrow is tuesday the 21st and we're getting a big temp drop plus we should have a good moon tomorrow yep yep that'll be a good day <laughs> yeah i know and i'm like yeah i really need to talk to my mom and coming over and watching the kids tomorrow i guess yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, but he, he, uh, he also, he's like, yeah, man, it was 80 degrees and the deer came, started coming out an hour earlier than we even thought. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was odd. We weren't expecting it and we yeah. ended up killing this nice buck that we were in here after. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. I bet if you checked your moon and, and pattern under that, I bet it was right on. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Super interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome. This has been a, a very, uh, very interesting podcast for me. Very educational, knowledgeable podcast. Um, Hunter, where can people find you if they want to scope you out and, and take a look? Yeah. Um, my Instagram is uh, bowlifehogan. Um, so you can find me there. Um, I have a Facebook, just Hunter Hogan there. Um, and then um, I'll be on Bowlife on the Outdoor channel. Um, this next season, I think season six, episode four will be um, my first appearance on there. So me and Remington both are kind of interns and, and beginners on that show, but we're super thankful for the opportunity to get started on that. So if 
you want to watch how the whole story on Pickett goes down, that'll be the place to watch it. All right. Awesome. Yeah. And I will throw, I'll throw your uh, credentials in the show notes too, for anybody who missed that. It'll be in awesome. the, in the notes. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on, dude. Really appreciate it. I know it's a late night. I know you're getting up early tomorrow morning to go try to kill some other ridiculous monster that Remington's going <laughs> to shoot and you're going to film. So yes, um, yeah, thank you again. And for everybody listening, um, really appreciate your time. Hope you guys learned something today um, and can apply this to, to your next early season or even this year. And um, yeah, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, leave a comment and, and please leave a review those are the biggest things that help raise the rankings um, for me and letting other people find me quicker and faster. Um, and this podcast in general and people like Hunter that can spill a lot of information and knowledge really quickly. All right. Thanks everyone. Catch you next time.